stocks, bonds, ETFs, straight out of downtown Chicago. This is Zach's Market Edge. Welcome to Zach's Market Edge, the podcast about investing in your life. I'm your host, Tracy Reinick. And this week, I'm going solo to talk about the shape of your portfolio. Basically, tech stocks have been off and running for several years now. And I know a lot of you may only own tech stocks. But what if you went the other way? Can you create a successful portfolio without owning any tech stocks? Or should you? Should you try to do that? I've talked about how you should have a diverse portfolio of between 10 and 20 stocks at a minimum, but the experts looking at diversity have said you can get it with as little as 10 stocks, but anywhere between 10 and 20 would work. So that should mean you should have exposure to as many sectors as you can, or if you're closer to 20 stocks, you could have some exposure to all sectors. But last week, I had an interesting discussion with a 91-year-old friend of my family. His name is Ed, so I'm just going to give you his first name here so he doesn't get calls from anybody um, asking him all his secrets. So he is someone I would consider to be a superstar investor, but he's really just kind of a regular guy who lives in Indiana and nobody's heard of him at all until right now. So his family was basically pretty much working class Americans. And he tells me neither parent had any kind of wealth whatsoever um, uh, you know, for their, their whole lives. He went into the Marines, he served in the Korean War, he got married very young at age 20, and he's been married to the same wonderful woman for 71 years. They have four kids, a whole bunch of grandkids, and now some great grandkids. So as I said, um, he lives in Indiana now, but prior to that, he lived in the Chicago suburbs, which is how my family came to know him and his family. So he ended up getting jobs after he got out of the military in the chemical industry, but even that wasn't paying him enough. So he did take side gigs of selling real estate in Chicago's western suburbs. And this was in like the 1970s. So he never made more than $50,000 a year in his regular career in the chemical industry. And I did a quick look at to see what that would be worth in today's equivalent dollars. So basically... Uh, he retired at age 60 in 1990. So if we're saying he made the maximum he ever made, like we'll just say 50,000 in 1990, that would be equivalent to 101,000 today. So not too shabby, obviously, but not even in the, what I would call upper middle class that we now designate, you know, the people today who would be making above the $100,000 level. Um, So he retired at age 60 in 1990, like I said, and he retired from paint and coatings giant Sherwin-Williams, so ticker SHW. So he was retiring at the time when you got good retirement packages, and they were going to give him just a cash award on his retirement, but he insisted on getting it in stock because they had been given stock uh, options 
throughout his career back in the day. That's what they did. Some companies still do that today, but fewer than what was doing it back in the 80s um, and the 90s. So he got $25,000 in stock. Now, um, Sherwood Williams is one of the largest paint and coatings co companies today. They own Sherwin-Williams, obviously. They own other brands like Purdy, and they bought Valspar, which was a huge paint company a couple of years ago. The stock just split three for one to try to make it more attractive for you and I to try to get in there and, and attract a few smaller investors again, like Ed was back in 1990. Now, they're also a dividend aristocrat. They've raised their dividend for 42 consecutive years. So that's very impressive given the history of the stock uh, and like what was happening in the economy and everything else over all of those years. So Ed got the 25,000 in stock. He also had some other cash he put to work in stocks when he retired as well in 1990. So that $25,000 uh, stock grant from Sherwin-Williams is now worth over a million dollars. And the other cash he put in, which from what I understand, wasn't that much more than the 25,000, that is now worth $4 million. So he has a total portfolio of about $5 million now in 31 years of investing. So I took a look to see how did he end up uh, this big with Sherwin-Williams in this portfolio. And so I just took a random date in 1990. I just did it from today's date, April 27th, 1990 to today, April 27th, 2021. And Sherwin-Williams is up nine, a little over 9,000%, 9,108% versus the S&P 500 at 1,166%. So it, beating the S&P by nine to one there. Now, just as a reminder, as good as that is, and that is phenomenal, uh, the top 30 stocks on the S&P 500 from 1990 to 2020, so not including 2021, um, the top 30 all returned 29,000% or better during that same period. So Sherwin-Williams, as good as 9,000% is, wasn't even in the top 30 of the S&P 500 during that same period. But over the years, as I said, Ed has invested this other set of money, um, not just the Sherwin-Williams money. And he has owned, he told me, anywhere between 10 and 20 stocks at any given time. But he discovered 20 was just too many to follow closely and to be up on the events and things that were going on in the companies. So in recent years, he's consolidated it back down to 10 companies. So he has one of the very small types of portfolios that the uh, financial experts say does provide you enough diversity if you have at least 10, but it is a little bit more heavily concentrated, right? So let me explain some of what Ed's strategy is, because so this will explain kind of why he owns what he owns. So he takes the shares that he gets um, from the dividend and he keeps it in cash. He does not reinvest the dividend at his age at 91. So he uses that cash and he grows it as a cash fund in his portfolio to pay both the capital gains taxes for the stocks that are outside any kind of retirement fund. So the dividends, you do have to pay capital gains on the dividends. And 
It also gives him firepower to buy stocks on any kind of sell-offs, you know, or, or bear markets or, you know, and any kind of buying opportunity in a company he really likes. And he likes having that kind of margin of error in his portfolio with all that cash sitting there so he can deploy. Now, the most interesting thing about his portfolio and him being a superstar investor with this portfolio is that he doesn't own any tech. He said it's because he's worked in chemicals for all of his career and he knows that industry. So he likes to buy what he knows. He also said he likes to buy companies that make something. So that's basically going to eliminate anything like a social media company where they have a website, but they're not producing anything. They have content creators like you and I posting on there. That's basically creating the product, right? So he likes to own things um, that are more than just an app that are making something. And so therefore, he has never bought any of the FANG stocks. He also likes to buy companies that pay a dividend. Now, that would have allowed him to buy at least one of the FANG stocks. Um, but I'll get into that a little bit later why he doesn't own the one FANG that does pay the dividend. So for him, it's a no-brainer to buy the big cap companies that pay dividends because you're, you are getting something, you are getting paid as a shareholder to own that company, and it creates this nice little cash fund for you to deploy in what you like to do, which is to invest. So last March 2020, as the stock market was crashing down in that original coronavirus sell-off, Ed did not panic because he had that cash fund sitting there that had been growing from the dividends over the last prior years. And so he bought in. He did tell me that he deployed about a quarter of a million dollars into the market in March 2020. So that takes a strong stomach, right? That's a superstar investor there where you can be 90 years old, which he was at the time, and everything's crashing down in a global pandemic, but he is going in. So what did he buy during that sell-off time period? He did buy what he knew. So he bought shares of Olin Corporation, ticker OLN. So they're in chemicals um, and they are big in areas like bleach. So that investment turned out to be pretty good. He's buying near those lows and those shares are up 151% since he bought. He bought Dow Chemical, another chemical name that he knows, ticker DOW, that's up 110%. He bought Ford because he said he figured Things would be real gloom and doom if the automakers didn't make it through the pandemic. So he thought that selling was overdone. He bought some Ford ticker F. Those shares are up 174% off those lows. Now, he also owns some other things that he already owned prior to the those buys in the pandemic. So he owns AT&T ticker T because of that big juicy dividend because this works into his strategy of uh, you know, getting that cash on hand so he can deploy it when there's buying opportunities. He also bought Bank of America, ticker BAC, but he bought it back during the financial crisis. So again, he had his cash fund ready during the financial crisis, and he did not panic, even though he would have been um, what in his late 70s 
And he followed Warren Buffett, he said, um, into Bank of America in 2008. So he bought at nine bucks a share. It's now 39.67. And that position um, pays him up to, he said, between seven and eight thousand dollars a year in dividends. So he has a nice cash from just the Bank of America, which is now once again paying a dividend. Remember, they had to halt it for a while there, but they are paying it again. So um, that is now paying him a nice dividend that's going into that cash fund that he can redeploy. But again, there's no technology. So Ed told me he did reveal he does not own a computer. Again, he's 91. Neither does his wife, I guess, either. But he tracks the stock market and does his trades on his iPhone. So... (laughs) He does have connection to the internet. Um, and I asked him, why didn't he buy Apple? Since he does use it and it's something he does know. Um, and Warren Buffett, you know, bought in 2016. Why not Apple, ticker AAPL? He said he thought about it. He thought about it even in 2016 as Buffett was buying. But he just doesn't understand the business as well as other areas of the economy so he never jumped in, but he told me he has no regrets about never getting into there. Could Ed be doing even better if he had bought some tech? Well, yes, likely, but it all depends on what he bought and when he bought it. Um, so obviously, if he had bought Apple when Warren Buffett did, he'd be doing quite well in that position, as we all know, just like Berkshire Hathaway is. But what if he had bought Microsoft when they started paying dividends? So. In 1990, Ed would not have been buying Microsoft shares. It was a newer company then. It was um, kind of cutting edge. It was uh, similar to like a Tesla of today because it had Bill Gates as the CEO. He was on the cover of Time Magazine and every other magazine at the time. These young tech guys changing the world. And so um, he would not have bought it. It was not paying any dividend and it did not pay a dividend during the dot-com boom years all the way through the 1990s. But it did start paying one in 2003. February 19th, 2003 was the first time it paid a dividend. So what if Ed had decided to buy Microsoft there coming after the dot-com bust? He might have seen a buying opportunity there and now it was paying a dividend, which he looks for. So shares are up uh, over a thousand percent, just a thousand, basically a thousand and two percent since they started paying that dividend on February 19th, 2003. The S&P 500 is up 397 percent at the same time period. So he would have had a nice big winner there. But what if he had bought Intel? Intel has also paid a dividend since uh, during that toll time period, actually, And so let's just go off of the same date as Microsoft, February 19, 2003. What if he had bought Intel instead right then? Intel had been one of the darlings as well during the 1990s. And a lot of people made a lot of money off of owning Intel during the 1990s. And so he might have thought that was a deal after the dot-com bust as well. Those shares had pulled back considerably. But Intel shares only up 256% over that same uh, 18 year time period. So it, it does depend, right, on what you buy, especially if you have a concentrated portfolio of only 10 to 20 stocks. 
Now, I also looked at uh, one of my favorite industrials just to get a, an idea of, you know, if he had continued to just say no to technology starting in on that same date on February 19th, 2003. And if he had bought one of my favorites, Fastenal, ticker F-A-S-T. So they make fasteners that are used in industrial companies, manufacturing, construction products. And that company, that stock is up 1,142%. And again, Microsoft itself is up 1,002%. So Fastenal beating Microsoft in that same time period, Fastenal also paying a dividend. But what about Sherwin-Williams? Sherwin he owned that starting in 1990. He, he has sold some shares over the years, but he still has the bulk of that position. So Sherwin-Williams ticker SHW on February 19th, 2003, those shares are up 2,924%. So he got lucky. He was already in one of the big winners of those last 18 years. And one, one lesson from Ed and his investing is that it only takes one winner, right? And it doesn't matter if it's tech industrial, a transport, it doesn't matter what it is. As long as you can find just even just that one winner, it will drive your portfolio. So again, he did get lucky that he happened to work at Sherwin-Williams when he retired and got stock. Um, he would probably be the first one to admit that. Um, but that luck, obviously did pay off and his portfolio and the strategy of investing in what he knows, which is, you know, old industrial type companies for the most part um, is paying off. Although he did tell me he bought Ford um, not only because they were probably not going anywhere. So uh, the shares were cheap, but also because of the electric vehicle push and all of that. So he's not behind the times on like what these companies are doing and the areas they're going into. So he did buy it for, let's just say, the technology side of the company. So he does own some tech, even though he won't admit it as, as such. So another thing about Ed is he has had his losers. So don't think it's all, oh, he's it's so easy. He just bought all these winners and he became a millionaire. No. He's had losers over the years, some companies that went under in the financial crisis completely. Um, but that's why you have a diverse portfolio. That's why you have some cash on hand on the side. Um, that's why you take your losses and uh, you cut out of there and try to find new winners. So he has owned General Electric over the years, he told me. He has cut back his position. He does not have a large position in it now. He's used his losses in it to counter gains in his other portfolio that's not tax, tax exempt. So he has used it as basically tax avoidance. Um, so he has owned losers, as I said. So let's get back to the original question. Should you uh, build a portfolio without technology or can you? The answer is yes, you can. Um, should you? I would say no, you should have exposure to technology. It's one of the biggest sectors in the S&P 500. It has the big growth area. And um, just even our discussion today has proven that you don't have to buy some speculative technology play or a name nobody's ever heard of 
to have a winner in tech, you can um, buy, you know, fangs or, uh, you know, other big caps that have a long history of earnings. So I'll have more on other podcasts on Ed's investing advice, because I do think it's interesting to hear from these long-term investors and just kind of these regular mom and pop investors like you or I, who, um, you know, have just been in the stock market a long time and they're not hedge fund managers. <laughs> they're not professionals like Warren Buffett by any means, but they've had successes and it's good to get investing advice from them. Um, but one thing to keep in mind, looking at the portfolio, I just kind of outlined for you today that he owns. He doesn't own anything, anything secret. There's nothing unknown in any of these names, even the ones he bought in March. Uh, of 2020 on the coronavirus sell-off. None of those were like some hidden growth stock that nobody's ever heard of. They were not lottery stocks of, uh, you know, waiting to get FDA approval on something or for that big product to come through or uh, to get that contract with the government. None of that. These were all companies with good uh, cash flows, earnings prospects, you know, big caps, things we all know and use, and that has worked for him. Um, that's created his winning portfolio. So this kind of goes to a lot of the advice I've given over the years on the market edge and the value investor. Uh, you don't have to be a genius. The stocks are out there. Um, Apple was out there. He was using his iPhone every day, it seems, <laughs> managing his own portfolio, but he did not end up buying Apple stock. But many of you who did buy Apple, the iPhone originally, uh, the iPad, any other Apple products, you've been diving in, buying the shares because you own it. So that technique can work. And him buying shares in chemical companies that he knows and the industry he worked at can work too. If you can find the great, the great uh, companies that are out there, and many of these are great. So let me recap the tickers now of these well-known names that uh, pay dividends and are working for him. So there was, of course, Sherwin Williams. He's still in it. SHW. They're still paying that dividend, and again, they did just split the stock three for one to try to lure us in there. Paint is hot right now, both on commercial and residential, as everybody's moving, decorating, uh, you know, just spending money in their homes. So paint is selling like hotcakes still. So Sherwin-Williams, SHW. Olin, another chemical company that will do well on the reopen as the global economy reopens. OLN, Dow Chemical, another one reporting solid earnings here, also on uh, the reopening trade. D-O-W, Ford Motor, electric vehicles, they are here. A lot of these companies getting into it and autos just red hot right now. Everybody wants one, nobody can find one. We have the semiconductor shortage, they can't make them. It's crazy out there, Ford, ticker F. AT&T, he bought it for the dividend. I've talked about it on prior podcasts. I know many of you are in it for the dividend, not really the growth, but you are getting that big juicy dividend. Uh, AT&T, ticker T. Apple, they've paid a dividend, but it's not paying much now. It's not yielding much as the shares have soared. Uh, we're kind of waiting here on earnings. We'll see how it does in 2021, but it's had a spectacular two-year time period. Nobody's complaining in that one. Apple, AAPL is the ticker. Microsoft, I own this one in my own personal portfolio. 
I did buy it in uh, 2000, 2001, 2002, just before they started paying the dividend. But I sold out of it um, a few years after that as shares were going nowhere and I did not have the patience to hold on. But I'm back in it. Better late than never, right? Uh, Microsoft, ticker MSFT. Intel, they have some issues right now. They have the new CEO. Can he turn it around? Also, semiconductors, all the issues going on there. Ticker INTC. And then one of my favorite industrials, I own it in the insider trader portfolio right now here at Zaxx because four insiders did dive in a couple months ago to buy. Even though the shares were trading near their all-time highs, they are now back to new all-time highs. Fastenal, ticker F. A-S-T. Now be sure to subscribe so you can get all my future podcasts on both here and the Value Investor Podcast as I talk about some other things that Ed shared with me about being an investor that I think will go to help all of us as we try to navigate this bull market. Uh, but you got to subscribe or follow along. Uh, you can follow me on Zax.com as well to get all of my articles. It'll have the podcast embedded in my articles as well. So click on the follow uh, button on any Zax.com article that I've written and including this podcast, and you will get all of my podcasts that way. Or you can get us on Spotify. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Amazon Music. We're on uh, everywhere. You can find us. But get the Zach's Market Edge somewhere and the Value Investor podcast as a separate standalone uh, podcast. You can get us on all those uh, platforms as well, but make sure you're getting both of them. And I'll see you again next week with some more stocks. This material is being provided for informational purposes only, and nothing herein constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. Do not act or rely upon the information and advice given in this podcast without seeking the services of competent and professional legal, tax, or accounting counsel. Publication and distribution of this podcast is not intended to create, and the information contained herein does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No recommendation or advice is being given as to whether any investment or strategy is suitable for a particular investor. It should not be assumed that any investments in securities, companies, sectors, or markets identify described were or will be profitable. All information is current as of the date herein and is subject to change without notice. Any views or opinions expressed may not reflect those of Zach's investment research as a whole.